Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I am thinking of the word rhythm. The dictionary defines the word as a regular repeated pattern of sounds or movements, or a regular repeated pattern of events or changes or even activities. You follow the gist of what I'm saying. Of course, this definition can be applied in many aspects of life and living. Music is probably the first that comes to mind when you hear the word rhythm or it might be applied to the sound of a cicada in the trees on a late summer afternoon. The rhythm of its calling from the trees. Rhythm can be applied to a lot of things all about us. Yesterday, I was in a church visiting with friends in Wales, and this word was used in one of the hymns that were sung. One of these verses contained this thought, and I quote, You wrote the rhythm of life. Unquote. Speaking, of course, to God through the words of this song. The hymn writer said it clearly and emphatically, you, God, wrote the rhythm of life. There's that word again, rhythm. Referring in an expression of praise to God, the songwriter ascribed rhythm to the pattern of life which he says God wrote masterfully into our world when he created the heavens and the earth. You wrote the rhythm of life, says that song. Looking around, can't you see the patterns and repeated sounds or movements, all of which were created when God made the world and all that is in it? And what a dazzling order it is. How magnificent are these patterns and rhythms, which we often miss because they're all there all the time and in so many descriptions, colors, and varieties. Yes, God surely wrote the rhythm of life that we can enjoy and we participate within it. And of course, we are an intrinsic part of forming that vast rhythm of life. Some glad morning we shall see Jesus in the air Coming after you and me, joy is ours to share What a rejoicing there will be when the saints shall rise Headed for the jubilee under in the skies All a day of singing, all a day of shouting On that happy morning when we all shall heavenly hosts we begin to sing singing in the holy ghost how the heavens will ring millions there will join a song with them we shall be praising christ through ages long heaven's jubilee all a day of singing all a day of shouting on that happy morning when we all Savior, 
Here is a poem that I have saved in my library over these many years because it expresses so well these thoughts that I have already been sharing with you this morning. I think the author says it so beautifully. It's called A Psalm to the Creator and was written by Ruth Wilson. Oh God, I'm so glad it wasn't enough for you to scoop out mighty gorges with your hands, shoving earth sideways into mountains so that the secret colors you had buried there were exposed in patterned layers. Nor were you satisfied with the roar of your waterfalls and the rhythms of your vast seas surging and pounding, creating their own masterpieces from lime cliffs. You didn't stop at color either, splashing it on a high mountain azalea, hiding it in a dark jungle, an orchid and parrot. You could have done it in red, yellow and blue, but you did not. You lavished us with every hue, past imaginings and sight, with shades that only delight. Still you didn't rest, you who invented manna, the perfect food. You filled the earth with delights, the delectable tomato, the blushing pear, the green grasses that ripens into wheat and corn to sustain our days. All of this you decided in five days. Still you created, you designer of individual snowflakes. From your secret vials you poured out on earth your scents, enough to spare and to give every living thing its own particular smell. Not content with the sight and taste of a crimson strawberry, you infused it with aroma that would drown us on early spring days. And all of this you did in five days, more than I can ever relate, but still extravagant God, you did not pause. Down to the dust you came, gathering it into your hands, molding and netting into shape a man who could have been enough if created to worship and praise you. But you gave him hands so he could touch the mighty gorgeous, the fragile flowers and feel the peach fuzz. Then you fashioned an ear so that he could hear your patterns in the wind and your rhythms in the wave, when an inner ear to hear your voice would have been sufficient. He had the mental capacity to envision you, yet in your exuberant love you gave him eyes to see the physical as well, marvelous instrument for the simple pleasure of perceiving shape, pattern, and the colors that you lavished everywhere. And what about the tongue, which could have spoken your praise without the delight of tasting cucumber? Did you laugh with joy when you fashioned a nose, that particular breathing apparatus that you graced with the gift of smell? Yet all of this was not enough for you, you who could have made man no different from the beasts who respond to you instinctively. You crowned a man with the ability to respond creatively. Into his body you breathed life with the desire to sing and make music, using your sounds and rhythms. You imbued him with the need to embrace the wind in the grass and the movement of clouds with his body. You let him mix your colors to picture his life on rude walls, discover how to make clay with dust and water. You gave him the mental capacity to fashion a wheel, invent a needle, and walk on the moon. Freely, abundantly, exuberantly, you gave him these gifts. Then, and only then, I read, were you satisfied with your work, pronouncing it good. Oh God, as we respond to you, offering our music, work, poetry, accept it, please, as our meager thanks for your bountiful love to us.
astounding, and now his face I see. Oh, the King is coming, the King is coming. Praise God, he's coming for me. And now with his message for today, here's Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the third message in our series on the family and violence. Based on Genesis chapter 4 and James chapter 4, we have concluded in our first message that from a theological and biblical perspective, since the home was the originating environment for violence, then the home is also the first environment that must be addressed to prevent violence from occurring in the first instance. Today, I want to continue with some of additional practical guidelines as to what parents can do to raise children to resist violence in a violent culture. Last time I gave three such guidelines. One, develop children's faith and trust in God. Two, Give your children consistent love and attention. And three, make sure your children do not have access to guns in the home. Now here's a fourth. Try to keep your children from seeing violence in the home or community. Violence in the home can be frightening and harmful to children. Children needs a safe and loving home where they do not have to grow up in fear. A child who has seen violence at home does not always become violent. However, he or she may be more likely to try to resolve conflicts with violence. So work toward making your home a safe, non-violent place and always discourage violent behavior between siblings. Keep in mind as well that hostile, aggressive arguments between parents frighten children and set a bad example for them. If the people in your home physically or verbally hurt and abuse each other, try to get help from a qualified pastor, psychologist or counselor in your community. He or she will help you and your family understand why violence at home occurs and how to stop it. Sometimes children cannot avoid violence in the street, at school or at home and they may need help in dealing with these frightening and scary experiences. A psychologist or counselor at school or a Christian leader who is well trained are among those who can help them cope with their feelings, so be sure you try to get such help. 5. Discuss the reasons for pain and suffering in the world. Genesis 3 makes it clear that we live in a fallen world and that even those who follow God will encounter pain, suffering, and violence. 
My friends, bad things do happen to good people. You need to explain this to your children. Six, teach vigilance without being hysterical. You do this by talking about the dangers in society. Now, in doing so, some parents have instilled fear, even terror in the children. We need to balance our discussion with them and not make them afraid or hysterical or paranoid. Children have been known to become hysterical if a car comes down the street or if someone looks at them because of what they associate that person with. Seven, learn about the impact of violence in our society. Keep abreast of what's happening in your children's schools even. Be aware of their fears. Eight, create a safe environment in your own home. A child should feel that his or her world is safe, protective. Providing care and protection are obvious first steps then for your children in the home. But parents must also establish limits. You must also provide emotional security and teach values and virtue in the home. And use the rod with care and discretion and always with love. The Bible gives us instructions on this. Nine, make sure your children are properly supervised at all times. Children depend on their parents and family members for encouragement, protection, and support as they learn to think for themselves, to mature, and to become independent. Without proper supervision, children do not receive the guidance they need, especially living in a violent society such as ours. Studies show that unsupervised children often have behavioral problems as well. So therefore, parents, insist on knowing who your children are at all times and who they are with, who their friends are. When you are unable to watch your children, be sure to ask someone you trust to watch them for you. Never leave your young children home alone even for a short time. Encourage your school-aged and older children to participate in supervised after-school activities such as sports and tutoring programs or organized recreation. Enroll your children in local community programs, especially those run by adults whose values you respect and know quite well. Accompany your children to supervise play activities and watch how they get along with others. Teach them how to respond appropriately when others use insults or treats or deals with anger by hitting or cursing or otherwise. Explain to your children that these are not appropriate behaviors and encourage them to avoid other children who behave that way. 10. Show your children appropriate behavior by the way you act. Parents, by now you should know, children learn by example. The behavior, values, and attitudes of parents and siblings have a strong influence on young children. Values of respect, honesty, good manners, and pride in your family and heritage can be important sources of strength for your children, especially if they are confronted with negative peer pressures or they live in a violent neighborhood or attend a rough school. 
psychologists and all parents as well testify to the fact that most children act aggressively at some times and may hit another person. And so be firm with your children about the possible dangers of violent behavior. Remember also to praise your children when they solve problems constructively without violence. Commend them for that. Children are more likely to repeat good behavior when they are rewarded with intention and praise. Parents must learn to do this on a consistent basis. Okay, let's turn our attention now to discuss how parents can teach their children how to use non-aggressive ways to solve problems in spite of what they see other adults do and in spite of the fact that we live in a violent society. First, you can do so by discussing problems with them when they arise. Ask them to consider what might happen if they use violence to solve problems and then talk to them about what might happen if they solve such problems without violence. This kind of thinking out aloud with your children will help them to see that violence is not a helpful solution at all, but it only produces further problems. Parents sometimes encourage aggressive behavior without realizing it. For some, for example, some parents think it is okay for a boy to learn how to fight. and They want to provide all the means to teach them how to fight. Some even do it with young girls. However, it is best to teach your children that it is better to settle arguments with calm words, not fists, not threats, or weapons, even though unfortunately we see such behavior modeled by our adults and even our parents in society in so many different ways. Second, you can do so by helping your children learn constructive, nonviolent ways to enjoy their free time. Teach them, your children, your favorite games, hobbies, or sports, and help them to develop their own talents and skills. Read stories to younger children. Take older children to the library or tell family stories about admired relatives who have made the world a better place. Read to them stories of well-known missionaries, people who have made an impact on the world through spreading the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Third, try to keep your children from seeing too much violence in the media. Seeing a lot of violence on television in the movies and in video games can lead children to behave aggressively. As a parent, you can control the amount of violence your children see in the media. Here are some ideas that I have gleaned from various counseling sources. First, limit television viewing time to one to three hours a day for young children. Two, make sure you know what TV shows your children watch, which movies they go to see, and what kinds of video games they play. In fact, you should monitor the movies they go to see and only allow them to see certain ones and not to see others. Thirdly, talk to your children about the violence that they see on TV shows, in the movies or in video games, when they are exposed to them. Help them to understand how painful it would be in real life and the serious consequences for violent behavior they see in these media. And finally, 
discuss again, I say, with them the ways to solve problems without using violence at all. Now, here are two important suggestions for dealing with violence in the media as suggested by specialists in the field. First, model a reading culture rather than a TV culture in your home. Listen to this quote by Torday Kappelman, Associate of Probe Ministries, who did some work in this area and is an expert in this area. Quote, Western society is now defined more strictly by the image, the sound, and the moving picture than by the written word, which defined previous cultures and home environments. Seldom does anyone ask, what have you read lately? I remember in my own day, this is one of the questions I have for my friends just about every day. What have you read lately? No one has asked me that recently. Continuing with the quote of Mr. Kappelman, One is much more likely to hear the question, What have you seen lately? We have become, for better or worse, a visually oriented society. Because literature is no longer the dominant form of expression, scriptwriters, directors, and actors do more to shape the culture in which we live than do the giants of literature or philosophy. We may be at the point in the development of Western culture that the great book series need to be supplemented by a great film series. End of quote. That's a terrific idea, by the way. Secondly, understand the impact of TV and movies upon your children. A terrific source for information on this issue is Violence in the Media. How does it affect your family? By John Schneider. You can see it on the website at www.christiananswers.net. Let me repeat that. www.christiananswers.net. A terrific read. Child psychologist Dr. Deborah Kowalski explains, and I quote now, With children having so much exposure to the media, the message that comes across are very important, and they shape how a child sees the world and what a child sees as being important. A lot of the messages related to violence and sexuality can negatively impact your child. End of quote. I agree with that 100%. The repetition of violence causes children to become desensitized, and as they view it again and again in in these video games and movies and on TV, the same thing, of course, happens to adults. But children are more vulnerable. It also holds true for explicit sexual content. In fact, relatively little exposure to pornographic material at an early age can significantly disturb a child and interact with their sleeping and other behaviors as well. It can also affect the way they interact socially with peers, as well as foster anxiety and fear in other situations. Michael Sermon coordinator of the Center for Communications Policy at the University of California, Los Angeles, did a three-year analysis of the effects of violence on TV. His findings and conclusions, if heeded, can do much to help us to educate and, in fact, to eradicate this culture of violence that now pervades our nation. And I want to take a look at this study because... It can help us so much here in how to bring up our children in a 
to in a non-violent way, although living in a violent society. However, we'll have to look at this aspect of our study next time. Until then, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great commander's promise He will surely come again I am listening every moment For the mighty trumpet sound What a time we'll have together When the saints shall leave the ground And our toiling will be Happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every morning for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. in a moment Jesus Christ could come again